The NBA is cracking down on resting. You as a fan win. Do the Jazz win? And will it work? Plus, Tim Lacombe joins us from a coach's perspective on the Utah Jazz for the offseason interview series. It's all coming up next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz. It's your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Today, the NBA cracks down on resting, cracks down on superstars missing games. It's good for you, the fan, but is it good for the Utah Jazz and will it work? Tim Lacombe. Pre-halftime post-game show host on radio, former BYU coach, gives us some interesting perspective on how why Lowry Markin and thrived, what he sees out Will Hardy's system, and what he expects out of the Utah Jazz this year coming up on our interview series. As I mentioned, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen. Every dayers appreciate you so much we are free and available on all podcasting apps we are also available on youtube and i want to thank you because locked on had its largest listen day ever on monday of this week over a million people we've been done that a few times a million actually 1.13 million people listened to a locked on or watched a locked on podcast on uh, monday september 11th thank you all incredible uh so thanks so much i uh, appreciate you uh, for being a part of the show. Thanks to the everydayers, really. All right, uh, Lacombe's great. Can't wait to bring him to you. Thank you so much to Thurl. If you get a chance to send at Big T, uh, Thurl, a thank you. Same thing to Ben Anderson, Sarah Todd, Tony Jones have all been a part of the program. Here's the plan. Lacombe and I will talk today, and then I'll probably get something out for you tomorrow. Um, cause, and then next Monday I'll get something out. Then Leaf's going to jump in. I'm going to take one last trip. Uh, yeah, I've just it's incessant, I know. Um, I'm going to take one last trip and Lee's going to take you for a little bit, then right up to training camp and I'll be back and then we're rolling. Then we're back to five days a week um, on everything. And we'll do a whole season preview series and a bunch of stuff like that. Really excited. We'll be out in Hawaii um, for you uh, as well. Uh, And then Seattle and then back to camp and then boom, it starts and we're going. It's going to be awesome. And one thing we're not going to see evidently star players missing games. Eh, That's a little bit of an overstatement. Here's what we're not going to see according to the NBA. We're not going to see multiple star players sitting out on the same game. Well, there's 49 players that are classified as star players. Jazz have one in Lowry Markin, so this impacts the Jazz none. The Jazz want to rest Lowry Markin in. Other than a national TV game, they can... Oh, wait, we don't have any of those. Okay, so we have like one of those. So we can rest Lowry Markin in anytime we want. Just on basic player... Rest or whatever. No national TV games. Can't rest them on in-season tournament games. And if you're going to rest someone, you have to rest them on equal amount of home and road games. But this is only impacting 49 star players. What the league wants to avoid, and is going to get the headlines, but I think is the secondary story here, is the league wants to avoid the day where the Nets sit, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, everybody. They just, where you show up and you get a, a a sparse collection of players that look more like the G League team than the NBA team. That's what the league is trying to avoid. 
The headlines are going to be about the 49 stars, about the Celtics can't rest Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum on the same game. And there's a bunch of super interesting rules here. In other words, if a player is unable to play back-to-backs, the league the, the league has to get prior written uh, notice one week prior to that back-to-back. So if the Celtic, if the Lakers are going to, if the Clippers are suddenly to say that Kawhi Leonard can no longer play back-to-backs, they're going to have to submit that a week earlier to be able to get that approved. They probably can get it approved. There's a few other underlying things here on these new rules that are going to be approved today that are really interesting. Still determined by the team whether the player is healthy or not. But the league can investigate in any long-term shutdown affecting the integrity of the game. We'll get to this in a second because I think this is the real story. The other one that I think is the real headliner is the teams are getting fined, not the players. And I've said this the whole time. Load management is a team issue, not a player issue. More often than not, the players almost always want to play. The team is the one shutting them down. Now, there's so much focus here on no national TV games, no in-season tournament games, no more than one star, equal amount home and road, preference to be road. And then there's the little last part of this that is not going to be talked about a great deal that I think might be the most important. They seem to have zeroed in on late game shutdowns. So the Washington Wizards shutting Bradley Beal down for what was it? The last 15 games last year or so. The facade of a team that was the Portland Trailblazers for the end of last season. This to me is where this rule is going to have the largest impact. Okay. few things on the stars. There's only 49 of them. There's only so many teams that have two of them. Cleveland has three. Minnesota actually has four. There's a bunch of little caveats if you're 35 or older, if you've played more than 34,000 minutes, if you've played more than 1,000 games, then you can have exemptions. And it's only, it's it's necessary because it's national TV games and they're up for a new national TV contract and they have to have the networks believe they're going to get a good product and they can't get screwed. Like that's really what they have to have. It's not going to be the players don't play the, Back, play back-to-back. It's not that players are going to start playing back-to-backs. It's that players are going to not rest on national TV games and in-season games of back-to-back. They're still going to rest on back-to-backs. The data, the teams believe, let's rephrase that, the teams believe that to be true. Okay, that's the facts. I don't know if it's actually true, but the team, and there is some data that shows that players are slower, like 20% slower on the back end of a back-to-back. So teams believe this to be true. They believe this to increase injury possibility, and which means they're not going to play their best players on back-to-backs. They're just going to play them now on the game that involves a national TV game, and they're not going to be able to throw games the way they have in the past where they decide to rest all of their stars in one game. The biggest impact is that Jalen Brown will play one day and Jason Tatum will play the other. The fans will get a good performance each night, and the Celtics – we'll actually have a chance to lose both instead of just win one and lose the other, which is what teams were deciding to do. Or they could win both. Teams win a surprising amount of games when they do this. But to me, the real story is the end of the year player shutdowns when they're not hurt. And it seems as though the league's going after this. Now, this is the one I want to see. Because I actually think as much as anything, this has a real integrity issue on the league. 
when teams really stop playing players late in the year that aren't hurt because they're trying to get draft position. It's an indirect way to tank. Now, from our standpoint, we might have done a little of this last year and got ourselves to be able to get to Taylor Hendricks with that pick. And then a jazz standpoint, is it good or bad for us? I actually think if you really want, like if you're just going to be 100% selfish, I actually think this is probably bad for us. We probably win a few games every year when the star players of the other team are out. We probably, uh, we probably want the freedom to be able to maneuver our lineups in a manner late in the year so that if we want to drop 11 of 12 to close the year, we can't particularly with our pick protected, right? If we're suddenly sitting at the 11th pick of the draft this year with our pick protected one through 10, we may decide, oh, shoot, let's let's get to seven. And this could make it more difficult for us to get to seven if the league's really going to hold on this. So super interesting. And... We'll see. But I think the most interesting thing here is the league has zeroed in on the Portland Trailblazer end of the season, Washington Wizard end of the season. It's what Dallas did last year and got everybody upset. You know, Jordan didn't play a lot for us at the end of the year, right? Um, So, you know, we're probably not totally extinct from this conversation. But, right, but Portland last year was sitting at 29 and 30. 31, 31 and 34, and then promptly finished the year 33 and 49, playing a shadow of their roster, and they lost 15 of their final 17 games. It's, you know, they they went to Sacramento and played a lineup of Sheldon Sharp, Skylar Mays, Drew Eubanks, Matisse Theibel, and Trendon Watford. And I think that's what the league is zeroing in on. As much as all the stars will get the headlines, They don't want that either. So going to be really interesting to see whether they, when a team starts to maneuver draft position by sitting players late in the year, whether they use this rule on that. Otherwise, it's 49 players. It's TV games. It's not going to get rid of back-to-backs. It is going to get rid of players sitting on national TV games. It's going to get rid of the team just absolutely throwing a game in the trash can and you having paid money for it. And this last one is what I think is the most interesting impact. And from a jazz standpoint, honestly, doesn't impact us because we're not on national television. Might impact us in a positive way that we're not on national television so they rest against us when they play national television the next day? Eh, I don't know. They can't rest both players so we don't get the tank. And we'll see what it does to us flexibility-wise at the end of the year. Interesting. Tim Lacombe joins us coming up. I love Timmy. What great dude. Does super work on radio. Probably one of the least well-known kind of rising stars in our basketball knowledge of uh, Salt Lake. And excited to show them to you uh, coming up here. And if you get a chance, send Big T. Thank you at Big T Bailey. Send a thanks to Ben Anderson, to Sarah Todd, to Tony Jones, who've all joined us on the interview series as well. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also in Logan. The Chevy trucks, the Silverado the little Colorado funny. My wife was like, God, I love that call. We, we, we got a rental car yesterday. We were out in uh, Denton, Texas to watch our daughter make her college debut 
uh, playing golf, which was maybe the most incredible two days of my life. Um, and we, uh, my, we, we rented a truck and we were in Texas and she's like, I love that Colorado. We had, that was a great truck. So anyway, the Chevy, uh, lineup is just incredible with the Silverado and the Colorado and the truck world, uh, the Silverado 1500, the HD, the 3500 HD. Uh, and then of course the Colorado's that was if you the SUV lineup, the Chevy's just great. The Equinox, the Traverse, the Blazer, the Tahoe and the Suburban, we all know well in their electric car, the Bolt is taking things by storm. It's all Murdoch Chevy, the first all-electric all Silverado, by the way. It's coming out if you want to get on the wait list for that as well. Murdoch Chevy, located in Linden and in Woods Cross. Make sure if you're going to stop by, you come by and let me know. Today's show is also brought to you by Intercap Lending. That's Steve Carter and the crew over at Intercap. So uh, impressed by all the work that Steve Carter does. He is simply the great customer service person on the planet. Intercap is what you need right now in a crazy lending world with all sorts of how's it going to play out? What's the what's the long-term future? What's the Should I do something short-term so I can get it when the rates get better? What's the risk? All those kind of things. You need a great loan officer and that's what Steve Carter is. The best customer service person I've ever been around. He's responsive. He's hyper uh, intuitive to what's taking place and gives you just an absolutely fabulous experience top to bottom. And that's what makes Steve Carter the man who gets all of these amazing reviews. So email me at dlock09 at gmail.com and I'll set you up with Steve. Or you can call him directly at 385-800-8528. But make sure you tell me you're with Locked On so that you can get the <clears throat> corporate discount of being a member of Locked On. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 19-0465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. It's Intercap Lending. It's Steve Carter. It's the best experience you can have. It's what you need. Feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com and I'll get you set up with Steve. Well, we call him Coach because that's what he did for a long time at BYU. He's now the pre-halftime post-game show analyst for the Utah Jazz, and we love having him aboard. He's Tim Lacombe. He's going to join us for this week's interviews, breaking down the season, looking ahead. It's our off-season interview series. Thank you very much to Thurl Bailey, Sarah Todd, Ben Anderson, Tony Jones have all joined us for it. They are playlisted on our YouTube account if you want to grab T. Lacombe. Let's just start with... Are you like surprised at the roster? Are you surprised at the offseason? Is it what you expected? What's maybe similar or different than what you thought when we left the building in April? Well, we knew we were going to see some, you know, uh, a good number of draft picks. That was new. Um, and I feel like the draft piece went really well. Um, Keontae George was. Uh, a pleasant, pleasant surprise and summer league rolled around. It's always great when a guy plays great under the lights. Um, the other guys, Hendricks and Sensba, um, and those guys are obviously we haven't seen them yet. Um, but in hearing, you know, and, and studying film and, and hearing and being able to talk to people around, um, they seem to fill a need, you know, a bucket getter, a guy in Sensba who can really play perhaps some you know, pretty well in isolation using his body, um, all, uh, THT in some respects. Uh, and then a guy like Taylor Hendricks who can really, uh, influence the game defensively as a bigger guy can switch on to smaller guys. And that's, I know direction that coach Hardy's talked about. So draft wise, really good. And then I think they, I think they knocked it out of the park with the John Collins deal. I think there's two sides of that fence right now. you know, I think there's different ways to look at it, but I, I do believe that this system will really play to his strengths. He's going to get better looks perhaps than he's gotten, and he's going to get more because his team's really unselfish. So 
Um, you know, beyond that, about what I thought, you know, I thought they'd be opportunistic, but not necessarily something major had to happen this summer. Let's go from the coaching standpoint of what you just said right there. What is it about this system? What is it when you say the system? What is it? Why do you believe that this this should work for John Collins? I just feel like there's here in Utah with Coach Hardy. It's, you know, he he's a real coaches or a player's coach, I think. But at, at the same time, there's certain non-negotiables and you make the right basketball play, you know. Um, and I when you're playing alongside a guy dynamic as Trey Young is and young and perhaps a little bit immature, um, you know, he's probably used to playing in games where that the right play is not always made, you know. And so just to understand that there's non-negotiables, that you're coming into a situation that you're going to be held accountable, but everybody else is too. And, um, you know, it's a fun way to play because the ball whips around and the defense, by virtue of how they guard you, determine what kind of shot you're going to get if you're patient enough. It's interesting on some of the, like the Trey Young one, I, I can't, I can't figure out, like, I guess I, I, I have a tendency to buck the narrative, right? Like someone t- says something my first reaction is like, yeah, let me really think about it. So the narrative in Salt Lake is that Trey Young somehow has hindered John Collins development. Like that's kind of what we're all trying to claim. It's like, God, like this is one of the most incredible paint to paint passers in the NBA. One of the most probably has the largest gravity of any player in the NBA from other than staff and the length of in the, which he, you know, you have to pay attention to him. He's an unbelievable passer. I mean, I get it in the sense that like you had to do everything in your game based on what his game was because he's that heliocentric and he's that, you know, he's Trey young the way you do with Luca. But I, gosh, I get a, like, I don't know. Like Trey Young breaks defenses down every single possession. Like he's in the paint every single possession he wants to be in there. Well, yeah, and and again, I I don't say that to, you know isolate him particularly, but I think there's just growing pains coming into the league. And I agree. I don't I don't think necessarily divisively so, but perhaps more just trying to get you know a feel for when you know when you're that dynamic, you could really shoot the ball pretty much any time, particularly with his ability. So I, I don't say that disparagingly upon Trey. I just think that to a man here in Utah and the way this thing's set up, the way that Coach Hardy really coaches this thing, again, the right basketball play is at the, at the end of the day, the be-all, end-all. Um, and I love that concept because, you know, guys, there's not a lot of debate. You know, I mean, I think it's everybody understands there's one extra pass on film. Those things are really easy to kind of point out and emphasize and, and, and hold guys accountable to. What is what? Let's talk about Coach Hardy. Year one impressed you how? Just, um, you know, I felt like the magnitude of the situation, um, the Jazz had just really, you know, you talked about bucking narratives. I mean, holy cow, man, they they had a pretty um, turnkey 50 win team, you know, that probably was never going to win a championship, but they're going to be good, you know, they're going to be talked about and they're going to be kind of in contention, but think what the Jazz did last offseason, they basically, it was unrecognizable after all the moves. And somebody had to come in right away and kind of get everybody's ear uh, and steady the ship. And for a young coach in that situation, your first crack, I mean, that was pretty big, big piece to bite off. Um, but, you know, I, I think I've shared with you, I was able to go to one of the early mini camps last year and just 
the way that coach Hardy held himself there with the guys. And, and there was a good mixture of veterans. And, you know, I think Walker was there as well. So I saw old and young, but just the way he, you know, he demanded their attention and he talked about the things that were important, but he wasn't, you know, it wasn't um, really loud and powerful, but it, it was meaningful. And I think that that's what he did when he got here. He got everybody's ear. Uh, and then they had a little bit of success, you know, right out of the gate. And I think everybody started to even listen a little bit more. And the style's really fun, you know. But, again, you're going to be held accountable. Your minutes aren't just going to come for free. And, and so I think a lot of those things, he set the precedent, um, you know, going into year two. It really excites me to see kind of what's next. So there was this great vibe. I tell the story a lot about, like, in Atlanta, he's walking through the locker room and he's talking about, like, hey, fun is underrated in the NBA. And he, he's got this. Can he do that again, or does it have to be something different? I think, you know what's funny is with Will, I don't think he's necessarily – I think there's coaches that that put on a, a shtick, you know. I think what you see is what you get with, with Coach Hardy. I've seen him, you know, in a couple different situations behind the mic and then as he leaves the room and then obviously have bumped into him from time to time and had conversations. And I think I think authentic, authentically that's what he is. I think he's a guy that just lo- loves ball. Um, you know, wants to be really successful and he's put in so much time. I was, I had the opportunity to talk to Mark Few about him, uh, you know, because Mark knows him through USA Basketball. I mean, you seriously, he just raved about him, you know, as, as a kind of person he is. Uh, forget basketball, but just the kind of person he is. So I, I think, I think what Will did last year was who Will is. And I think he'll only get more comfortable. Um, and then as the season go, seasons go on and success will kind of speak for itself. But I think last year was, you know, better than anybody could have dreamed. You know, after making all those changes, bringing in a new voice, um, you know, they don't all go like that. You know, you see kind of a revolving door sometimes. And uh, it seems to me Utah's got their guy for a long time here. The thing that jumped out to me about him that you're alluding to in the Mark Few conversation, and and I don't know if Will would either agree or admit to this because it's there's a arrogance to it that he does not kind of parlay to but I have this vision so he's 34 last year I think 35 during the season I have this vision at like five six years ago he was probably 28 like this is probably the part where Will would be like eh he's at San Antonio he looks around he's like wait James Borrego has a job Jock Vaughn has a job Mike Budenholzer has a job Quinn Snyder oh every single other person that's ever had this job has an NBA job and I'm gonna get an NBA job like I really think that he recognized that fact at like 28 and 29 and used the next six years in all sorts of different methods from basketball knowledge to coaching knowledge to mental strength to circumstance evaluation to thought process. Like he was, I don't think anything like, other than the stuff that you just don't know because you haven't done it surprised him. And that's what impressed me the most in year one of him was that it's clear to me that it wasn't like, Oh gosh, I just got the head coaching job. I better start thinking about this. Yeah. It's almost as though, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he had a really great binder, you know, uh, of things that he collected and notes that he's taken for that very reason. I think to be able to have, that keen insight and see all the guys around you and understand you're working for, you know, the Dean uh, uh, and then some of NBA coaches. Yeah. I, I think you're right. 
And and I think last year was not, hey, let's throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. Uh, I think there were a lot of things in his plan, um, you know, particularly the minutes thing where he's not just doling out minutes and he doesn't set the clock by rotations per se. Um, you know, he takes a little bit different tack to that and, and little things like that. I think nuance um, abounds in him. And I think that's something probably collected over several years of kind of saying, you know, this is going to happen for me. He's Tim Lacombe. Nice enough to be with us today here on Locked on Jazz. We'll continue with more with Tim as we get rolling. NBA uh, weekly interviews will be continuing. Leaf Tulin's going to step in here uh, in the upcoming weeks as well as we get uh, to training camp, which is right around the corner. Uh, reminder, all college football and NFL fans, we have the live Friday preview shows that are pretty awesome all across Locked on. Today's show is brought to you by Ibotta. Ibotta is a fun one for all of us. Why? Because our regular activities go make us a little bit of money. They buy us, maybe it's a plane ticket. Maybe it's a little dinner on, our, on another vacation. So you're picking up burgers, you're picking up hot dogs, you're out getting the new clothes for the school year, you're doing whatever it might be. And Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods so you can make beating inflation a little better. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user earns up to $120 per year. That could cover the cost of your next shopping trip, frankly. Or you could use the cash back for that dinner I talked about. Other apps give you points, but don't amount to much. Ibotta gives you real cash back that can cash out your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and real retailers, too, when you start with Ibotta. Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, you mention it. It's there. Right now, Ibotta's offering $5 just for trying Ibotta. Use the code LOCKED when you register. That's LOCKED. Go to the App Store, Google Play Store, download the Ibotta app, use the code LOCKED. I-B-O-T-T-A in Google Play or App Store. Use the code LOCKED and get back on your shopping. So, Tim, as we continue with Will, how's year two different? Well, again, I think um, it's now he's he's actually called timeouts and seen um, kind of the inner workings of that season from that seat on the bench. Um, and I think you you find things now to fine tune. Uh, there there'll has to be things that happened last year that he didn't love. Um, and, you know, I think every single year it's like we used to put the the proverbial car up on the, the skids, you know, and, and g- see what we could do to fine tune it and work to make sure that we were more efficient the next year. So I think there's parts of that, uh, obviously some changes to the staff. Um, so there's, there's going to be some new faces there. Um, you know, last year he kept some guys around that uh, were here and, um, and now it's going to be more surrounded by people that he solely picked. So I think that'll be interesting. Um, and then just the, you know, I think the camaraderie with the guys, the fact that he's not a unknown entity here. Um, there's a lot of guys now that have a history with him. So uh, the ability to really teach, uh, get beyond all the other stuff and just really teach uh, guys and, and find ways to get people to improve. I think that, that they'll kind of be fast tracked for that. There were some real stylistic changes that he made during the year. We opened the year, tried to force a lot of turnovers. Jared was all over the place. By the end of the year, we were like in the last 40 games a year, we're 30th in the NBA enforcing turnovers. We're dropping the big. We have Kessler just hovering around the rim. We're protecting the rim. I feel like his his instinct is I think he'd like to play five five out switching, like five out offensively and switching. But with Walker, I'm not sure that's 
what he is. What do you think stylistically? Uh, we were a team that didn't allow any threes early in the year, and then second half of the year we allowed like some of the highest rate of threes in the league. Um, what? Where do you think he is stylistically as he evolved in that year that we'll see this year? Um, yeah, it, it was interesting, and I do think that the the way that they the Jazz came out and guarded early on was more indicative of you know Walker wasn't playing as much, and you kind of had the ability. Um, to maybe switch some more things or be a little more aggressive, but we've seen Walker in FIBA. I mean, he he's the he's the quintessential hover around the rim guy. So you're going to use him, I, I think, in that respect a ton. I I would think that Will 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 continue to drop the big, but still not just play one way. You know, I think that's one of the great things is he has um, you know ball screens. He can treat them all sorts of different ways, and with the lineups that he'll hopefully be able to put out there. That will also be uh, something that you'll see. Um, I look at Pop, and Pop seems to be a guy to me, you know, through the years that's tinkered. You know, he, he's he's gone from one thing to another based upon his personnel. Um, and I think that, that, that Will will probably follow suit. You know, he's smart enough to understand uh, when I have a guy like Kessler or I have, um, you know, big long wings perhaps, you know, that, uh, that I can use that we're going to be more aggressive. But I, I don't see him being just kind of one size fits all. I see him tweaking things from year to year. Do you need a point guard? Man, I, you know, the, the coach in me and, and basketball fan in me, it's crazy to think, you know, of almost uh, 40 plus years, the answer would be unequivocally yes, but I'm starting to see that it's becoming less and less important as we talk about positionless basketball. Um, you know, how many times do you see forwards bring it up? Giannis bring it up. Uh, you know, you think about uh, LeBron obviously brings it up nearly every time. Uh, so you, so it's an interesting question. You've got to have somebody that thinks for others. I know that. Um, you've got to have somebody that's a little less unselfish that will get the ball moving. You've always heard about guys that really move the ball well, don't hold it. It doesn't stick. Um, but I think you've got to have you've got to have that piece and you've got to have somebody to be able to handle the ball. And I think beyond that, to label them as a point guard, perhaps we're moving away from that as much. You know, I think that's what we're all thinking, because we're going to have point guard by committee. Well, I mean, you kind of look at Boston. Boston may very well not have a point guard in some ways, depending what they're going to do. Having traded Marcus Smart, who was their point guard. Um, I'm not sure Denver. I mean, I guess Jamal is your point guard, but frankly, Jokic is your point guard. Um you know, I think there's I think there's going to be about five or six teams in the league that are doing this. Phoenix is going to Devin Booker probably as their primary point guard. They'll play a ton of isolation. Um, I do think you need passers, right? Like yeah. last year, I thought one of the most incredible things this team did was they passed because when the year started, they only had two guys on the whole team that passed, Mike Conley and Kelly Olenek. I, I, I might argue they're down to one. Um, and I think that's the real question is if you don't have a point guard, can you still be a team that plays with the pass? Well, I think that that's part of what we're talking about with coaching. You know, Will's one of the things he does require is these guys see what's going on and act appropriately with the ball. Um, and I think that's why you saw guys like THT um, consistently have, you know, he had double figure turnovers about every other game. It seemed like it was crazy. Um, so, so I think the, the way that the jazz play, I think they still want to play a little faster too. And a lot of, you get a lot of open floor numbers situations where you can really get good at moving that basketball around. 
Um, so, you know what, David, I'm going to actually break a trend and say, I, I don't think you need a point guard in this day and age. Um, you know, would it be like flying into 1985 and saying, hey, guess what? These big guys that just stand around down here and clog up the rim. When you fly to our time, you ain't going to need them. Um, in 2023, they're, they're pretty much just out on the perimeter. Uh, the game changes, the game evolves, and maybe we're in the middle of one of those. Be interesting to see late game, right? Because that's the one thing that really felt like Mike was super valuable. Mike Conley was super valuable with last year was that we were re- we won a lot of late games early when he was on the floor, and then when he stopped being on the floor, there were a lot of other guys not on the floor also by the end of the year. But it felt like the late game stuff is really where the final five minutes it grinds down. It's possession by possession. Who's making the right play? And Mike just did so many, whether it was two dribbles to his left to just move a defender so he could make the pass to the guy, you know, who gets the open look Malik Beasley. I was I specifically can think of a play where he just, you know, by subtle movement freed Malik Beasley for a big dagger three. We've got the shimmy on the backside of it. Like those kind of plays are the ones where I do think like, boy, this, this makes me uncomfortable as someone. Yeah. Like probably similar to you, right? Like I first covered the NBA in 92 and a guy named John Stockton was playing point guard against guys like Isaiah Thomas, like Kevin Johnson. Like that's what, that's what I was raised on. So the, I, I, part of me still, you know, I understand the PAC 12 is now dead and then maybe the point guard is too. (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. So Something with in 2023. um, But no, it's, it's, it's interesting. It'll be something interesting to watch, but you bring up a great point. You know, when Conley left and all of those things you took for granted, like getting in a ball inbounds after a timeout, um, all the little things that a a veteran point guard does for you. Um, But maybe that's, you know, now just something you share amongst guys. Um, And again, if they can pass and can take care of the basketball, particularly in crunch time, you know, who needs a point guard? He's Tim Lacombe. You can catch him every night on our pre-halftime postgame show on the radio. You can follow him on Twitter at T Lacombe. And uh, in our episode coming up later this week, we will start off with the ever important of who is that point guard on this roster. And we will also answer the question you've really been asking yourself this whole show if you're watching it on YouTube. Why does he have these really cool guitars behind him if he's a basketball guy? Well, that question will be answered coming up on one of the future episodes as well. Thanks to Tim for being with us. This is Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.